When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, Chuck, let's listen to some Devo. Yes. So, Chuck. I got a good feeling. You like that? I love Devo, dude. That's my favorite Devo song. Akron Boys. Yeah, they're from Ohio. Uh-huh. Late 70s, early 80s, quintessential new wave band, Devo. Yes. Uh, we just listened to Gut Feeling. It originally appeared on their 1978 album, Q, Are We Not Men? A. a. Say it, Chuck. Uh, we are Devo. Yeah, but with an exclamation. And not the uh. Right, yeah. It doesn't say, uh, we are Devo. No, it doesn't. Um, and uh, I got my copy from the soundtrack of Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Isn't that, is it Life Aquatic or Aquatic Life? The Life Aquatic. People are probably like, I thought this was on McDonald's. Yes, you would think so. And here's the reason why. Do you remember that I just said, like 30 seconds ago, mm-hmm. Devo is the quintessential Late 70s, early 80s new wave band. I do remember that. Well, apparently the designers of Happy Meal toys at McDonald's agree. Right. They released a series of Happy Meals toys that are little characters based uh-huh. on different genres of music. Yeah. And there's one called New Wave Nigel. And he's got these thin sunglasses and spiky hair. Yeah. And he happens to have a very uh, recognizable hat. Sort of looks like a flower pot that's upside down. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to Mark Mothersbaugh and the other guys in Devo, it looked a lot like what they call their energy dome hats. Right. Which they trademarked. So now they're suing McDonald's for uh, yeah. unlicensed use of this of this hat. And McDonald's is like, get in line. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, pretty accurate, actually, Chuck. McDonald's, at any given point in time, has a handful of lawsuits against them. I think that's any big company, though. It is, but that's 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 a good point. McDonald's has become this emblematic, mm-hmm. symbolic face. The golden arches yeah. are like the logo of more than just McDonald's. It's the sure. logo of of corporate America, obesity of America, uh-huh. obesity, uh, McJobs, globalization, globalization, globalization. Yeah, we'll talk about that, of course. Yeah, there's 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 just for being a fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. 
they've come to take on these huge representations of yeah. these enormous concepts. And I got to admit, some they've handled well, some they haven't, but they're still standing, you know? Yeah. Well, they love it. You take the good with the bad. As much as they hate being the symbol of the face of obesity, they're like, yeah, but we sell a lot of Big Macs. Exactly. <laughs> we know that you like them, fat boy. Right. Yeah. That's that's kind of the idea that I have of them, too. Chuck. Yes. We've got Devo out of the way. We can mm-hmm. check that off the list. Okay. All right. You want to talk about Mickey D's? Should we go? Let's start with history. Okay. Because it's a pretty interesting history. It is. A lot of people out there probably think, oh, yeah, I know about McDonald's history because I've stood there in line and read the plaque that says Ray Kroc invented McDonald's and he started it all up. Yeah, the embossed plaque. Yeah, the embossed plaque. Not true. No. Actually, uh, I often wondered as a child why the founder of McDonald's last name wasn't McDonald's. It was Kroc. But it is because McCroc is... uh, would you buy a burger from a place called McCross? No, it's okay. like buying a uh, a piece of furniture from Unpainted Huff Hines. Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> Very nice. Uh, how many times do we reference Coen Brothers films? A lot. It's all the time. Uh, flashback to the Great Depression. Yeah. Let's go have another piece of pie. That kind of time period. <laughs> that song would have gone well, too. It would have. Uh, in the 1930s, Dick and Mac McDonald, you might not recognize that name, they were running a movie theater in California, not doing too well. First question. Okay. Who names their kid Mac McDonald? Yeah. A little suspect. Yeah. Probably had wacky parents. Yeah. Um, and they were not doing too great, and so they noticed across the street, it's literally one of these stories where, like, boy, that hot dog business is gangbusters. <laughs> we should open up a hot dog stand. Yeah. So they borrowed $5,000, which seems like a lot of money at the time to open a hot dog stand. No doubt. Well, I think I get the impression that they opened like one of those very early diners because they called it the Airdome hot dog stand, right? Yeah, Airdrome. Airdrome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the aquatic I, I, life. Sure. I get the same thing. And uh, by 1940, they moved that from Arcadia, which was the original location, to San Bernardino, and mm-hmm. they changed the name to McDonald's Barbecue. Right, so they went from a hot dog stand to a barbecue joint. Well, it wasn't barbecue. That just meant on the grill, I think, because they serve burgers, gotcha. and burgers, fries, and milkshakes. Yeah, that that change was a um, was a big deal because they dropped a lot of their stuff, right? Well, they shut down. They closed the business for a little while to retool, which was you, you just kind of didn't do this at the time. They were yeah because they were already pretty successful. This wasn't like a, a, a slouchy business, but the the McDonald's brothers um, or the brothers McDonald. Um, felt like they could do it better. I guess one of sure. them had some sort of, some sort of inspiration from the assembly line, right? Yeah, I think from the auto industry, and mm-hmm. so they created the Speedy system, Speedy system, S P E E D E E. Right. And dude, that's where it really changed it, the world as we know it. And that's not overstating it. No, that it was isn't. the birth of modern fast food. It is. They also did away with the car hops, like people on roller skates who used to come up and um. Take your order at your car. You had to come in. Um, but, yeah, more than anything else, they, they changed the fast food industry with that speedy system. Basically, they took the principles of the assembly line and applied it to food. Yeah. So if you were you know in charge of cooking the burgers, you didn't put the burger on the bun. You got you your little put station. cheese on the burger. Mm-hmm. Like there were different people involved in the burger-making process. I can attest to this because my first job was at McDonald's. Well, I worked there, too, for an hour. We'll talk about that later because that's some – we have some famous cohorts that uh, worked at McDonald's. Oh, good. That I looked up. Nice. And we, we're not famous, but we worked there. Yeah. I didn't know your story. I can't wait to hear that. Uh, so they, they were really successful. Over the next six years, they uh, sold 21 franchises, opened nine outlets themselves. 
And they uh, were doing so well that they said, we need these multi-mixers that can mix five milkshakes at once because we need to increase the speed. And their multi-mixer salesman was a man named Ray Kroc. Yeah. Here is where the uh, little bit of fate comes in. right? These guys were running, I think, are there eight shakes that it can make at a time? A multi-mixer? Five Five shakes. Now it's probably eight. They ordered eight of them. Yes. And they had them running all day long. And Ray Kroc's like, it's the most multi-mixers anyone's yeah, ever ordered exactly. at once. So he actually went out to Purdue to find out what was going on. Purdue? Yeah, remember the Hells Angels podcast? I didn't know they were in Purdue. Yeah, oh, San Bernardino? Right. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay, bud. Um, he went to go see it himself and was like, uh-huh. what is going on here? He was on board immediately. Apparently, uh, Jacques Pepin put it, um, the famous French chef, oh, Jacques sure. Pepin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote an article about Ray Kroc, and uh, as he put it, um, he pitched the idea to the brothers to really start expanding their uh-huh. operation, and they said, well, where would we get somebody to do this for us? And Ray Kroc said, what about me? Right. And he became their franchising agent, right? Yeah, apparently he his, his original um, motivation was to sell multi-mixers, and he figured if he could open up more franchises, they're selling tons of milkshakes. Right. They're lousy with milkshakes. Right. So I can sell more multi-mixers. So that was kind of how it started out. Yeah. And he uh, opened his first McDonald's franchise uh, in De Plain, Illinois, right? Yeah. And that's actually the now a museum, that McDonald's location. Oh, really? Uh-huh. There are two. There's a Big Mac museum, which we'll talk about where the Big Mac came from later. Sure. And then there's the McDonald's museum. Yeah. Anyway... So he opens up that one, and in the next five years, dude, he franchises 200 more restaurants. What's amazing, though, is that he didn't, he wasn't filthy rich in that next five years. No. He actually had a lot of trouble getting these things off the ground. Sure. Right? So we've got one thing under our belt when we're describing the success of McDonald's, right? And that is the speedy system, using the principles of the assembly line for fast food. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing that made McDonald's as successful as it is um, was the the real estate principles that the company took on, right? Yeah. Harry. He hired a guy named Harry Sonneborn, right. and he only worked there for like a decade. But that completely rewrote their business model uh, to, to the point where they were making more money off of real estate than selling hamburgers. Right. Because originally, Ray Kroc would be like, hey, uh, we've got this kind of newish franchise – and McDonald's was in the first fast food restaurant. Howard Johnson's was around already. Sure. White Castle was around already. Sliders. So they had, mm-hmm. they had competition, right? Um, and these bigger guys who'd been around for a while could just build as many as they wanted to in a region because they had tons of capital. Well, McDonald's franchise was still pretty young. Yeah. So when they went to franchisees, these were very hopeful people who were maybe, uh, were, were, for the underdog, that kind of thing. They were sort of green. They weren't like super investors. Right. And so they didn't have a lot of money. So these guys would have to basically open one franchise at a time because the building expense and the land expense was right. so much. What Santaborn came up with was like just lease the land and mm-hmm. then sublease it to the to the franchisee. Yeah. And then not only that, mark up the leasing fees. But <laughs> initially it was twenty yeah. percent over what they were paying to lease the place. Then they upped it to 40. Yeah. And then finally, when McDonald's started rolling, it was either 40% or 5% of sales, whichever was greater. So yeah, right. the, the, uh, the franchise realty corporation, mm-hmm. uh, made as much money as, as the McDonald's corporation for a while, if it, it, really, if it doesn't still. Yeah, it was a stroke of genius. Yeah. Basically. And so that enabled Croc, uh, in 1961 
to buy out the McDonald's. Uh, I'm sorry, the McDonald brothers for what was it? Two point seven million. Yeah. In like 1963. Yeah, two point seven in 1961. Uh, they gave up the rights to the McDonald's name. Uh, Dick and Mac, if you want to know what happened to them, they reopened the original San Bernardino joint as the Big M. And uh, <laughs> Ray Kroc was like, yeah, I don't like you reopening that original <laughs> store, so I'm going to open a McDonald's down the street mm-hmm. and run you out of business. And yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. And that, that strategy is still uh, followed today if you pay any attention to Home Depot and Lowe's. Oh, sure. Thank you for that. <laughs> and uh, apparently Kroc and... You know, this is in his autobiography, so we're not slinging stones here. He uh, actually fostered this bitterness between himself and Dick McDonald, who was their surviving brother. And uh, Croc considered the the Plains location the original first McDonald's. He never wavered from that. And himself the founder. Well, obviously, if you've ever seen the embossed plaque, you right. never hear any mention of the McDonald brothers. So people have challenged that from time to time enough so that the McDonald's Corporation's official site now says, yes, Dick and Mac McDonald founded a restaurant, and Ray Kroc, you know, originally sure. came on board. But he's the founder of the McDonald's Corporation, right? So that's how they kind of justify that. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, I do want to point out too that, um, uh, unbeknownst to the franchisee, the capital that they got from raising uh, the money to, for the, you know with the leases, mm-hmm. they used that to fund the opening of other franchises. So that's how they started kind of rolling. And uh, sort of like a Ponzi scheme. A little bit, but this one no. was uh, slightly more legal it was and on the had a pretty good payoff. Apparently, uh, Kroc took McDonald's public in 65, and if you had bought $2,000 worth of stock that year and its initial public offering, it'd be worth $3.5 million today. Yeah. That's not a bad return on an investment. So he bought the company in 61. Yeah. By 63, he had opened up his 500th. Mm-hmm. By 65, they went public. And then 20 years after they went public, they were included in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Right. That is what's called a super rapid ascent into wealth right. and, and the, success. The Dow Jones only has 30 companies. And McDonald's is one of them. What's more, and one of the things that explains that success, but uh, that kind of also supports it, is that um, they started catering toward kids and cultivating customer loyalty at a very early age mm-hmm. thanks to a guy named Willard Scott who you may know as the uh, weatherman for the Today Show for many years the demented Smucker's Jelly spokesperson or Bozo the Clown yeah or Ronald McDonald yep he was the first one he was uh, first in a long long line of Ronald McDonald's um, and he was the, the first character and then pretty soon they started adding more and more uh, McDonald's characters, but let's stick with Ronald for a second. Did you know that they they um, introduced Ronald McDonald in 1965, right? I did, yes. Or I think it was 63. Okay, 63. By 1969, mm-hmm. more kids could identify Ronald McDonald than they could the American president. That's American kids. Right. 90% of them could identify Ronald McDonald six years after he was introduced. Yeah. Yeah, and my research, I don't know if that's true or not, but it says that uh, Willard Scott was originally let go because he was too fat, and they didn't want a big fat clown as their uh, spokesman for their food. He is a leaner-than-usual clown, except for those huge hawk thighs that he's always had. Oh, the saddlebag? Uh, yeah. Like, like they're riding uh, pants. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, so they come up with Ronald McDonald, but they're trying to figure out how to expand the characters, right? Well, Chuck, you and I grew up in the 80s. We've ridden a fry guy or two before out in the playground, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Hamburglar. The Hamburglar. Mm-hmm. Grimace. Grimace. Um, you've got Mayor McCheese, who is one of my personal favorites. Yeah. Um, the uh, Big Mac uh, cop. Oh, yeah. God, I wish you had his name. I do, too. Well, there's some listener mail for us, Chuck. Right. Um, and all of these people originally were going to be licensed characters from Sid and Marty Croft. Uh-huh. The uh, guys who used to eat a ton of acid and create children's shows, HR <laughs> Puff and stuff, right? Right. Um, so originally McDonald's Corporation uh, approached Sid and Marty Croft and said, hey, we want to license your Puff and stuff characters. Sid and Marty Croft said, okay, we can, we'll totally do that. They waited for McDonald's to call back, waited for him to call back. McDonald's finally called back and said, no, we're not going to do it, and blatantly ripped him off. Oh, yeah. So Sid and Marty Croft. They looked um, a lot like, oh, yeah. like Sigmund the Sea Monster. They kind of all had that same thing. I saw a commercial from 1971. It's the first one that Grimace appears in, and it actually features a young Jodie Foster. Oh, really? It is straight out of the H&R Puff and, HR Puff and stuff shows like yeah. instead of flowers there's little cheeseburgers everywhere yeah, i mean yeah. it's just completely like a, a sid marty croft ripoff so much so that when the croft brothers sued uh they were awarded 50 grand but that was it right but did you know this grimace who's this bumbling purple. happy purple weird sidekick of ronald mm-hmm. best friend um was originally evil grimace which is probably why they called him grimace he had three pairs of uh, arms uh-huh and they were meant to steal as many shakes as possible. Really? Yeah. And then they figured, that's just creepy. And kids right. don't like it. So we're going <laughs> right. to put it back to two, one pair of arms, uh-huh. and uh, he's going to be nice. Wow. Yeah. Evil Grimace. You know, the Sid and Marty Croft had the place in Atlanta. Uh, you didn't grow up here. But when I was a kid, Sid and Marty Croft land was at the uh, top of the top floor of the Omni, the old Omni, uh, you know, what became Phillips Arena. What? Yeah. And there was this escalator. I remember, I mean... Now it's probably not as long as I remember, but it seemed like it was like a, the longest escalator in the world at the time that mm-hmm. went to the top to Sid and Marty Croft land. Did they create uh, the banana splits too? I don't think so. Were they from Atlanta? I don't know the connection there. I know it was a pretty big failure. Yeah. It closed down in short order. Yeah. But I went. I'll bet it was real popular among the hip teenagers. I bet. especially Yeah, especially in like 1976. Yeah. Right up there, alley. All right, Josh, let's say you wanted to uh, open a McDonald's restaurant uh, back in the day, your Ray Kroc, and how would you go about spotting a, a good location? What are you looking for? Well, first I would put on my 10-gallon hat. Right. I would board a helicopter. Yeah, which you did. I would start flying around areas mm-hmm. that were up and coming, mm-hmm. and I would try to find uh, an intersection with a church, a school, maybe some other stores. And I would plop it right there. Yep. That's exactly what he did. Yeah. And specifically, I think, uh, physical space-wise, developers look for more than 32,000 square feet. Right. Which is a little over 9,700 meters. Nice. Uh, a height of 22 feet, which I don't understand. I guess the height and clearance? Is that what they're looking for? Yeah, elevation. They're looking for, oh, okay. uh, for gotcha. the... So the the McDonald's is for Stands all to high. see. Yeah, gotcha, yeah, exactly. And they still, to this day, look to place them near intersections with traffic lights. Or airports. Schools, or wherever churches. there's a ton of people. Yeah. And originally, they, the the thought behind it was they wanted to put it where the heart of the community was. Well, no. They wanted to put it where as many people as possible were going to pass by three times a day. Right. And they still use that classic 
speedy type system. I'm sure they don't call it that, but uh, still the assembly line. Automated stuff has taken over uh, many aspects. Obviously, if you've been to McDonald's in the last decade, you've seen the automatic uh, fry cooker and the automatic drink filler and uh, you know, you go to the drive-thru window and there's a little screen telling you what you're ordering. Dude, let's talk about a drive-thru window. Yeah. Because there are certain McDonald's in the United States where when you pull up to the drive-thru menu, yeah. you place your order, mm-hmm. you are speaking to someone in a call center in another state. Yeah. Do you know that? Is it another state or another country? Another state. Okay. So I think there are ones where there, I, I think there are some that are in other countries. Right. Yes. But the, the, based on the New York Times article I read, they were in, these were McDonald's in Missouri, mm-hmm. and they were talking to people in Colorado. And they would take a snapshot, right, of, of you, right, so they know. Right, from the computer in the call center. Yeah, so when you get to the window to pick up your food, they see a photo and they say, well, this is that uh, that Chuck guy. He's all tubby in his front seat, and he's salivating for a Big Mac, so here's your Big Mac. And then they, they say that the picture is destroyed, but... You know. Oh, is that what they say? That's what they Cause say. Because I wondered about that. <laughs> destroyed? Uh, yeah, so the, this McDonald's is with, I think because of as much money as the company has, it's long been on the cutting edge of like new technology. Anyth- anything that can be used to, um, cut down costs, McDonald's is into. Yeah, absolutely. And they're also into, believe this or not, cleanliness. Yeah, Ray Kroc, they said, was like obsessed with being clean. I got the impression he was a tad OCD, maybe. Well, my my theory is, and I worked in the restaurant business, you can never have a restaurant that's too clean. So I appreciate his dedication sure. to cleanliness. Apparently, you like to say, if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Yeah. And anytime somebody said that to me after they turned around, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, give them the old high hard one. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of leaning in the McDonald's around my neighborhood, actually. Yeah, I think there are in most of them, but uh, even that apparently is a step up. As far as McDonald's and other countries go, McDonald's is widely credited for changing the standards in the industry, the restaurant industry, sure. for bathroom cleanliness in uh-huh. Hong Kong. Yeah, Did you and, know that? Yeah, and uh, uh, Thailand social um, social interaction because apparently in Hong Kong there was never uh, such a thing as like organized lines to stand in line and get something. And so they were literally forced to stand in line for the first time huh. to, to complete their order. So some say that it brought some uh, social graces and organization to these kind of chaotic scenes. That's great. And you know what? I believe that because when I lived in L.A., I would always get muscled in on by uh, little Asian women. And it used to bother me. Then I was like, you know what? I bet you in their country you're fighting to get in position to get your, you know, whatever's in the market. So. That's exactly what they want you to think. Yeah, I open. Was it? <laughs> I was duped right. into being kind. I was yeah. like, I understand. Cut in front of me. That's fine. Exactly. Here you go, lady. Welcome to the U.S. Right. What a sucker. Chuck, what's your favorite menu item at McDonald's? Answer me. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, the Hangover Helper double quarter pounder with cheese, mayonnaise only. Add French fries on top and smush it all together. Mayonnaise only, no ketchup or mustard. I don't do that stuff. Pickles. No. Onions? No. You gotta have the sesame seed bun though. So you have a bun, a burger, cheese, burger, bun with mayonnaise and french fries. Yeah. Okay. I don't think that appears on the menu really. (laughs) Oh, that's the Chuck special. (laughs) Huh. I'm a straight up double cheeseburger guy. Yeah, those are good. Uh, but we can talk a little bit about the history of a few of their menu items because I find it kind of interesting. I do too. That's why I asked you. The uh, the fillet of fish was born in the 1960s mm-hmm. because uh, at the time we had really great Catholics in America who had abstained from eating meat on Friday. Right. 
And Ray Kroc was like, uh, we got lagging sales on Friday because all these Catholics, can we invent something here to, to make up for the sales? Right. And they were losing sales to places like uh, Big Boy. Sure. I love Big Boy. Um, Jonies? Sure. And the reason why they were losing it, uh, these sales was because these places had a fish alternative. Right. So Ray Kroc comes up with a brilliant idea, and it is? The hula burger. Right, which was? A slice of pineapple instead of meat on a bun. Yeah. Not a very good idea. No, it wasn't. But luckily, by this time, uh, the McDonald's Corporation was smart enough to know that they needed to test menu items first. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they tested it. But at the same time, they tested uh, another item called the filet of fish. Yes. Which was, uh, I thought I think, thought up by a franchisee, correct? Uh-huh. Lou Groen. And uh, he thought of it and put it on his menu, which McDonald said, that's cool. Let's see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And it went over like gangbusters. And uh, they said, you know what? We're going to add this to our national menu. Yeah. So a franchisee beat out the CEO and chairman of McDonald's Corporation. Yeah. That's something. That, well, that means he's smart enough to listen to him as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of a recurring theme. It seems like Ray Kroc surrounded himself with people who were smart and sharp, but also he listened to them. Right. And when they were, you know, milling about the office, he'd make them push a broom or something when they were walking down the <laughs> right. hall. If you're too busy to lean, you're too busy to clean. No. Close enough. If you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Right. And the Big Mac, too, had uh, similar origins. It was a franchisee's idea out of uh, the Pittsburgh area, right? Yeah, which is key, I think, to its success. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, the fact that it was in Pittsburgh and it wasn't in, like, you know, Los Angeles, very health-conscious Los Angeles. Not in the uh, 70s, though. Was oh, LA's always helped. been that way. Oh, okay. Uh, Jim Delegati, who was uh, invented the Big Mac, which we all know is two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onion, on a sesame seed bun, mm-hmm. with the third bun there in the middle, which is key, mm-hmm. to just keep it all together, Sure. evidently. Right. So people in Pittsburgh said, this is awesome. <laughs> and Ray Kroc said, okay, we're going to add this to our menu. Right. It, it actually became their signature sandwich. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, and I find it odd that earlier we mentioned that the McDonald brothers opened up their other restaurant once their name was taken. It was called the Big M. Right. Apparently there's no connection there, but it seems a little hinky to me. The Big Mac and the Big M, huh? Well. I hadn't made that connection. Really? Yeah. What do you think? No, I'll tell you what I think. I think Big Mac is a reference to truck drivers and big guys who would eat a sandwich like that. Which is actually kind of daring because you're almost automatically cutting out your female customers sure you know yeah the big or petite mac maybe would have been a better name for it maybe so whichever you like uh and chuck you mentioned the mcdonald's brothers and their original um restaurant Uh well they kept selling hot dogs for a while right yeah yeah why didn't mcdonald's sell hot dogs do you want to know sure because ray Kroc felt that the mystery meats yeah and i just made air quotes put into hot dogs uh didn't fit or live up to mcdonald's standards sure so yeah. no more hot dogs? Nope. And you've never, even though you have pure all-beef franks now, of course, mm-hmm. I'm sure you did back then, still won't find one. No. I bet uh, out of spite. That's my idea. Uh, Josh, flash forward to 1973. When my favorite McDonald's menu item all time really? was invented. Oh, yeah. We are talking clearly about uh, the circular broken yolk egg with cheese, Canadian yeah. bacon on an English muffin. Which in Canada they just call it Bacon. Right, a.k.a. the Egg McMuffin. Yep. And another franchisee, Herb Peterson, uh, operated six McDonald's. He um, he actually came up with the first national ad slogan where quality starts fresh every day. Convinced Ray Kroc to try it out. He loved it. 
and then they got into the breakfast business. Right, and they debuted it with another McDonald Land character named Birdie, the early bird. I don't remember that. Yeah, don't you remember Birdie? She was the uh, she was clearly a female. She had like a orange flight suit and a scarf and flying oh, goggles. Yeah, 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 yeah. Birdie, the early bird. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and we got one more to talk about. You can't talk about McDonald's without the chicken McNugget. And I actually remember this one clearly because I was right at, in, at the age. Yeah, like 20. 12 years old. <laughs> Jerk. Uh, this was actually thought of by a CEO, which was which was rare because usually the franchisees were, uh, were owners were coming up with these. Right. Fred Turner was the chairman, and he put out a request and said, you know what? He commissioned it. I love the quote. He commissioned a chicken finger food without bones about the size of your thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty specific. Yeah. And so they, they came back, they were like, all right, here it is. Yeah. Sort of even looks like a thumb. A little bit. And I, now, now that I see it, it's going to be tough to eat them. Yeah, I used to eat those. Oh, I used to eat them like crazy. Not anymore. Nothing but barbecue sauce. I would do a mix of the barbecue and the sweet and sour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good mix. It is. So we need to talk about a little bit of the criticism, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and the good that they do. We'll follow with the good that they do. Well, you know, Devo is not the only people who uh, have filed a lawsuit against... Uh, McDonald's, neither are Sid and Marty Croft, right? And it goes both ways. McDonald's has been known to file a lawsuit or two, right? Oh, yeah. Specifically, probably most famously, against Greenpeace. Yeah, the McLibel case? Yeah. Did you read the McLibel pamphlet? Uh, No, not the actual pamphlet, but I kind of know what it's all about. It's a little broad, in my opinion, to have drummed up that much ire and anger. Oh, really? In the mid-'80s, two London Greenpeace members... um, basically started printing pamphlets. And I guess what it was was at the time nobody was talking about this stuff, and maybe they were the first. Oh, yeah, probably. Like about cutting down rainforests for Mm -hmm. grazing land for cattle that McDonald's was using, um, inhumane practices of killing the the cattle, um, exploiting workers, that kind of stuff. I guess now that I think about it, it's so ingrained into our culture now, awareness like that, right. that maybe in the mid-80s it just totally wasn't. So right, got their attention. Why, yeah, and it got McDonald's' attention, too, because they sued these people. Yeah, and they won. They won because they uh, these guys who put out the pamphlet couldn't uh, back up everything that they stated in the pamphlet with facts. Do you know why? why because they, they, were, they were poor, and they worked for Greenpeace, and they, couldn't and they defended it. themselves. Uh, okay. So these two acted as their own lawyers, and McDonald's lawyers buried them they wouldn't give them um you know documents that they asked for right they uh buried them in procedural stuff um and and won but at the same time these two people and greenpeace as a whole they are just too. doing as much pr as they can oh, about yeah. the case sure. and mcdonald's just took a huge hit that was probably the first real turning point as far as mcdonald's image goes yeah, where it wasn't just like McDonald's is the greatest thing ever. Right. And yeah. people started to really kind of pay attention to like, wait a minute. Where do you McDonald's get your said, Ronald McDonald said he loved my child. What do you <laughs> mean he really just wants profits, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, they were famously sued in the 90s with um, the hot coffee that spilled on the old lady's lap. Yeah, and I always thought that was just like uh, uh, um, an example of how we need tort reform. Right. I didn't realize why the woman was awarded the money. Did yeah, you? she got third-degree burns in her crotch and was in the hospital for eight days. Right, but the reason that the jury awarded her such a huge amount, it was in the tens of millions, I think, right? Uh, it just said, well, I don't know how much it was specifically, but compensatory and punitive damages. It was a lot of money, Yeah, and it was for spilling coffee on her, her crotch. Right. But the reason that the jury awarded her such so much money um, was because McDonald's was well aware of the, the problem, 
and uh, for had for many years received hundreds of complaints, but just didn't do anything about it. That their coffee was too hot? Yeah. 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 And then, Josh, in the uh, 90s, again, McDonald's took a bold move and came out and said, uh, you know what? We're no longer going to cook our French fries in beef fat, even though it's so good. I know. Do you it, remember the change? The yeah, taste? yeah. And we're going to cook it in vegetable oil. So that was their big announcement. And then uh, this sort of uh, implied, in a way, that they were vegetarian fries because it's just potatoes cooked in vegetable oil. Not true because they contain beef flavoring and uh, suet. So Hindus obviously had a, and vegetarians had a big problem with this. But McDonald's very fairly said, hey man, we never said that these were vegetarian fries. But we'll pay up anyway. They ponied up like 10 million bucks in an apology. Yeah. And that's what you do when you got deep pockets. Oh yeah. You pay up a little bit, apologize, it goes away. Yeah. And the next person in line steps up to sue you. (laughs) Right. But then in the meantime, 5 million people step up in line to order a double cheeseburger. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that pays for everything. Yeah. Uh, a couple of more big high profile things. There was the book Fast Food Nation that, uh, charged McDonald's with uh, globalization and, uh, anti-union tactics. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. And that, that was also mentioned in the McLibel pamphlet. They were, um, that they only use or only employ workers who are basically down on their luck, have nothing that have, have no alternatives. Sure. They uh, they overwork them. They exploit them. So there's high turnover. So there's no chance of unions right. or unionizing among McDonald's employees. Right. And then Morgan Spurlock, of course, with the film Super Size Me, the documentary, mm-hmm. famously went on a 30-day diet of nothing but McDonald's and no exercise. Mm-hmm. And almost died. And did you watch it? No, I've never seen it. Yeah, it was entertaining. And he, he does, like, McDonald's was in the firing uh, scope, but he was making a statement about the fact that you know, when we were kids, a large drink was like 18 ounces, and now you can get like a 72-ounce soda. Do we really need that? Right. And actually, that had some uh, uh, some big effects, I guess, in McDonald's. Like, th- they took their supersized yeah. uh, option off of their menu, like, right after the the film was screened at Sundance. Yeah, they went proactive on this one big time. Yeah. Which so, was pretty smart. And actually, I guess it's not that much action, but still, it was a big deal. Yeah. Little indie filmmaker got them to change their menu. Yeah. So instead of supersize, it's now called large. Right. Um, Chuck, was Fast Food Nation turned into Food Inc., the movie? Is that is the movie Food Inc. based on Fast Food Nation? No, there is a movie Fast Food Nation as well. Oh, okay. That Richard Linklater did. Gotcha. No, you're thinking of Waking Life. Okay. <laughs> We should also probably say that there's um, some good that this company's done. Aside from making great greasy hamburgers. Right. Which I do love. Yeah. I don't eat McDonald's much, but boy, is it good. Obviously, first and foremost, you got the Ronald McDonald House, right? Great, great organization. Sure. What do they do? Uh, well, if you have a kid who is in the hospital a lot, um, especially out of state, uh, seeing a specialist... And your family needs to be there to support the kid, but you don't really have enough for a six-month hotel stay. Right. There are houses around the country called Ronald McDonald houses yeah. that your family can go stay at for free or next to nothing. Yeah, pretty great. To, that are close to these hospitals, children's hospitals, so you can be near your kid and yeah. not have to fly back and forth or you know lose your job, that kind of thing. Right. Uh, they also, like we said, have been charged with globalization, and they will counter that, no, 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 when we go to these countries, we have cultural-specific menu items 
And that's very true. There's We have, I think, an article about wacky McDonald's menu items mm-hmm. from around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually try and incorporate the local culture into our menu yeah. instead of just forcing this American uh, thing down their throat. Right. That's what they say. Right. And if you uh, – there's a picture actually of a pair of um, McDonald's workers in India – um, and there's the Maharaja Mac and the Vegetable Burger with Cheese, both of which uh, I imagine are cooked without beef since India is kind of big on the cow worship. Right. Right? Yeah. I don't think that they that McDonald's would go over very well if you walked into one in, sure. in Mumbai and, hey, here's one of your gods right here on the menu. <laughs> yeah, they've taken beef off the menu there. Right. So uh, uh, this is a perfect example of the good that McDonald's does. Yes, there's good. It's called glocalization. You're taking a, a multinational but um, you know very culturally specific company and adjusting it as needed mm-hmm. locally. Glocalization sure. is great. But the thing is, is when it's so disingenuous when people put that point out, because of course McDonald's isn't going to serve hamburgers in India because they want to sell food exactly yeah, yeah so yeah they're going to adjust their menu to reflect sure. local values because without that no yeah. one's going to buy it Josh I know we're kind of short on time there's some more stuff we got to stick in here though uh, we need to talk about the McNoggin did you ever see that the fried uh, chicken head what yeah I'll show you a picture this lady purportedly uh, gotten her box of McDonald's chicken wings a fried chicken wing head <laughs> And it, and, you know, it's exactly what it looks like. But it is. Snopes has said that it has not been verified, and or disproven. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you got to see it. It's really funny. Yeah. And uh, so, because she has refused to turn it over for inspection, and so it's just kind of still floating out there. It was like ten years ago, so I'm sure it's gone away by now. Um, did you ever hear the rumor about the uh, cow's eyeballs? Yeah. In the shakes. Not true. As far as we know. Yeah. Uh, the my favorite McDonald's thing is. Um, in Los Angeles, I worked in the film business, and we shoot most McDonald's commercials are shot at this one fake store in L.A. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is on wheels, not literally the building, but everything in there is on wheels. It's got lights all rigged. It's all faults. And every day when you shoot there, they have 4 o'clock fries. And at oh, 4 really? o'clock, the production stops, and they bring out like 50 large fries for everyone to just chow down on. So it is a functioning McDonald's. Yeah, but, but it's not a, it's not a functioning fries. restaurant. But you got to be able to fake the cooking and all that stuff. Gotcha. Okay, that's awesome. And you worked there. We need to tell that real quick. No, we don't. I worked there for an hour. I worked there for a few weeks. I worked there for one hour. I went in the training and in, in the basement. Yeah, so did I. And they gave me my like took my uniform size, showed me the little video, uh-huh. told me to clock in and out. Right. And I was like, all right, you start in the morning at like four a.m. Yeah. And the next morning, I was in Athens, and the alarm went off, and I went, I can't do this. Yeah, good for you. Never went back. Never cashed my check, so I got a check out there with my name on it. Oh, really? You should get that. For like four fifty or something? I'll bet it's up for sale on eBay. <laughs> and Josh, we can not, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of our famous cohorts who have worked at McDonald's. Okay. And they are as follows. A hey, Chuck? Shania Twain. Yeah. Sharon Stone. Yeah. Jay the Rat Leno. <laughs> really? I'm, I'm in Coco's corner. Okay. I'm in Camp Coco. Uh, Pink, and Pink had a quote. She says, quote, I would open the restaurant because I'd be tripping on acid, and I would say, could I have a bathroom duty? And I would sit in the bathroom and watch the tiles. Nice. So that's what Pink was doing. Uh, Carl Lewis, Olympian Carl Lewis. Cool. Macy Gray. Yeah. If you had a funny voice taking your order at some point, it might have been Macy Gray. Where did she work, does it say? Uh, I do not see where that was, no. Oh, okay. Uh, Rachel McAdams, yeah, super smoking, cute actress. Yeah. 
and DL Hughley mm-hmm. worked at McDonald's. And us. And they and we did. And they a lot of them still say that it was like a great job and it taught them order and cleanliness and all that good stuff. I I didn't get any of that from McDonald's. I worked there for an hour, so I can't really say. I got a paycheck. Uh-huh. It was good. Sure. Um I was What was your station? Sixteen I would do just about anything. Bathroom, front. I don't remember I never cooked anything, like I never cooked patties, but I'd make fries, right. put cheese on stuff like that. It was all over the place. That's you were a superstar of, of the line. No, no. It was just like the guy was I, – I don't think he'd ever met Ray Kroc, the guy who right. managed that place. And he was a little too involved for like a late 20s guy with, you know, the 17-year-old staff he had going. Like, right. no, you know, nothing – not to cast any dispersions or, or suggest he was up to anything. I mean, like, he was just too on our level yeah, mentally. Yeah. You know? He wanted to be your buddy. Yeah. You know, they say that one out of every eight – People in the American workforce worked at McDonald's at one point. I'll bet. And I think 50% of their executives started out in, the in their stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a million stats. We won't get into how many fries they sell and the fact that it wraps around the earth a gazillion times every day or something ridiculous like that. Okay. There's so many stats. we got a lot of good McDonald's content on the website. Right. I'm going to finish this with two words. Shamrock shake. Boom. I'm going to finish it with one word. McRib. Yeah, nice, Chuck. Sure. God, we almost forgot that. Great Simpsons episode on the McRib, too. If you want to know more about the Simpsons, McDonald's, the McRib, the Shamrock Shake, D.L. Hughley, or Devo, you can type any of those things into the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. I defy you to. Uh, since I said that, I think it's time for listener mail. Do we have time for listener mail? No, we don't. Let's do this. Let's put out the call. Okay. We are coming to New York City, folks, in June, first week in June for Internet Week, or is it the second week? I think it's June 7th to 14th. Yes, and we are looking to have a Stuff You Should Know happy hour with the fans, whoever wants to come, and we need some help on finding a place that will host this happy hour for free. Well, yeah, we're just, we just need a place that we can show up and be and let everybody know we're going to be at. We don't need to rent it or anything like well, that, Well, preferably right? it would be someone who would shut down except for us, and they will be guaranteed probably a lot of people in there buying food and drinking beer. Awesome. But uh, So New York City fans, if you have any connections, please let us know. And we are actually looking for T-shirt designs. Yeah, we're having a T-shirt design contest. We're going to select, what, the best three, four maybe? We haven't worked that out yet. All right, we haven't worked that part out, everybody, but... We are calling for T-shirt designs. Look for uh, activity on that on the Facebook fan page, Josh Clark and Chuck Bryant, Mm -hmm. and Stuff You Should Know podcast fan page on Facebook, uh, and probably some tweets on it. Uh, We're going to have a Twitter feed coming up soon. I think it's going to be like uh, SYSK maybe or something like that. We're getting with the times. Yeah, finally. Uh, I guess that's about it then, right, Chuck? If you have an email that you want to send to us, we'll get back to listener mail next week. Yeah, yeah. Wrap it up. Smack it on the bottom. Send it to Stuff Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, 
no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richards Rainwater. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.